Welcome to the Mind Body Breakthroughs Podcast, where we bring you amazing guests on the cutting edge of science, health, and business each week to share strategies you can use to get the breakthrough that you are looking for in your life. I am your host, Chris Donahue, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Nevada Gray. We're so glad that you're joining us today, and we'd like to invite you to join our free, private Facebook community, Mind Body Breakthroughs. The views expressed on the Mind Body Breakthroughs podcast are the opinions of the hosts and guests and are not to be taken as medical advice, as the hosts and guests do not provide medical care. Information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult your medical provider in relation to your personal health and prior to making any changes in your diet or fitness. Proud affiliate of Redmond Real Salt, the best tasting and most mineral rich salt on the market without the microplastics and other issues of conventional salts. See the show notes for 15% off your order. Dr. Stephen Hussey is a chiropractor and functional medicine practitioner. He attained both his doctorate of chiropractic and master's in human nutrition and functional medicine from the University of Western States in Portland, Oregon. He is the author of two books on health, The Health Evolution, Why Understanding Evolution is the Key to Vibrant Health, and The Heart, Our Most Medically Misunderstood Organ. Dr. Hussey guides clients, or health participants, as he likes to call them, from around the world back to health by using the latest research and health-attaining strategies. In his downtime, he likes to be outdoors, playing sports, reading, writing, and spending time with his wife and their pets. All right, guys. Well, we are back with Dr. Stephen Hussey, America's heart coach, continuing our deep dive into the heart and the true causes of heart disease, atherosclerosis, and everything that you did not learn in medical school about these issues. So, Doc, welcome back. How are you doing today? Pretty awesome. Awesome to be here. Welcome, Dr. Hussey. So today we're talking about a very important topic that's extremely close to my heart and probably one of the most meaningful episodes, and that is what causes a heart attack. Yeah, so this is the the main event, I guess. You know, this is the the uh, uh, yeah um, what everybody wants to know because um, you know in the last in the last episode in the series we talked about how you know these clot formations are not causing heart attacks uh, based on Brody's work, and so um, we have to explain what does. We have to um, um, figure out what does because when we figure out what does, we can figure out what we can do about it um, to prevent them. And so what does cause a heart attack? So from from my research and based on uh, my understanding, a heart attack is caused when there's three imbalances in the body. Um, and these imbalances are not um, uh, unique to causing a heart attack. These imbalances are imbalances that pretty much drive all chronic disease in the body. Um, and they just happen uh, to cause a certain series of events in some people uh, that results in a heart attack. So those imbalances are um, not being well fat adapted. So basically your body is not um, at good at burning um, fat and ketones for fuel. 
because you're relying on carbohydrates. Um, and it's kind of this interesting thing where your, your body, you know, carbohydrates are an easier fuel source to burn. So based on how the metabolism is set up, um, if carbohydrates are present, um, even if fats are present too, it will it will choose to burn those carbohydrates in most tissues of the body. That's not true in the heart, though. The heart actually prefers to burn ketones, and even in the presence of carbohydrates, will choose to burn ketones and fatty acids. Um, the um, second imbalance is oxidative stress, which we've talked a little bit about before, but we'll review a little bit. Oxidative stress is when we have an excess of free radicals, um, which are the waste product, one of the waste products um, from our metabolism and we make energy. Uh, so every time we burn any form of energy, uh, we make this exhaust, this, this free radical product. But also uh, external toxins can be sources of free radicals too, like heavy metals um, and, and, and various other toxins that we're exposed to every day. Um, but actually, you know, hand in hand with the first imbalance, burning carbohydrates for fuel will actually result in more of these, this free radical production whereas burning fatty acids for fuel will result in less of it. Um, so oxidative stress is the second imbalance. The third imbalance is something we've talked a lot about in the first two series, and that is an imbalance in our autonomic nervous system, our stress response. Um, and so this happens when we get, um, we get stuck in the state of, of sympathetic dominance, um, where our body is, thinks you know, we're in a life-threatening situation. Um, it's not a full-blown adrenaline response, like someone jumps out from behind the... the uh, door and scares the crap out of you and you get that adrenaline response but it's kind of a low-grade chronic stimulation of the sympathetic response um, and this is a result of us you know living in a world with these unnatural stressors um, combined with our, our higher level thinking so these three things when they when they happen um, and the stars align you know and 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 things just happen in a certain way can result in a heart attack heart attack and i'll and i'll explain um how that happens so let's um, so let's talk about how the, the autonomic nervous system signal is communicated to the heart, um, through the vagus nerve. And we've talked about how it, the vagus nerve actually has contact and it can affect the entire system of the heart and every single uh, cell. And so normally what happens is we have this signal to the cell and in the heart cell, when that signal is pervaded, we get two different um, uh, signals. We get a, a sympathetic and a parasympathetic signal into the heart cell. And this, the heart cell knows what to do based on which signals it gets. So if it gets the sympathetic signal, we get increase of a molecule called CAMP in the heart cell um, and, and most cells in the body, but um, happens in the heart too. And then if we get a, a stimulus of um, uh, parasympathetic, we get CGMP. Um, but you don't have to worry about those, those alphabet soups there, but, um, usually they happen together. So usually we would never have a, a stress response, a surge in sympathetic activity in the heart without a lesser signal, um, uh, of the parasympathetic. They're always balancing each other out. Uh, and it's, it's that way for a reason. However, there's one difference, um, between how that, that, uh, signal is communicated. Um, for the parasympathetic one, parasympathetic one, the rest and digest, the, the relaxed state one, um, it requires nitric oxide to be present in order to get into the heart cells. Okay, so nitric oxide is a molecule that's made in the endothelia, the cells that line our 
arteries. Um, that's where it's made. And um, if those arteries are not healthy, if they're damaged, if they have atherosclerosis, we're not going to make as much of that nitric oxide. And if we have high levels of oxidative stress, which we've talked a lot about, nitric oxide can actually act as an electron donor to neutralize those ox the um, free radicals. So if we have high oxidative stress, it tends to deplete our nitric oxide. So if we're getting this stress response because we're living in this, this um, high-stress world um, and we get this stress response um, and we get that surge of sympathetic activity in a heart cell and there's not enough nitric oxide to send the parasympathetic one in there to balance it out, um, that, can, that can start a cascade of events that, that uh, turns out badly. Um, but we know, we know that stress plays a huge role in this because we, heart attacks, new studies have shown that heart attacks are more prevalent on stressful times and stressful days of the year. Um, there was a study done, I can't believe if it was um, Sweden or France, um, somewhere over in Europe, but they looked at um, the days where heart attacks were more prevalent, and it was Christmas Eve, summer holiday, what they called summer holiday, um, which are stressful times for a lot of people, holidays. Um, and then also Mondays um, and sporting events, actually. Uh, interestingly, people people get really intense about their sporting events. Um, but we just know that there's this association with, with stressful times and the prevalence of heart attacks. And so if we're walking around in this, this sympathetic dominant state because we're living this high-stress life, and then we get this sudden surge of a stressful event, and there's not enough nitric oxide to relay the parasympathetic signaling to the heart cell, then we get a dominant signal of sympathetic uh, activity in the heart cell. And what that does is when that happens, the heart cell thinks that it is um, the body is under threat and it needs to burn more glucose for fuel because glucose is easier to burn and we need to get away from that threat. We need to run away from it or we need to fight it off. So we need more energy and we need it quick. And so that's what happens. Um, it, it, switch, it switches um, from the preferred fuel, fuel, fuel source of ketones and fatty acids to carbohydrates, which the heart has mechanisms in place so that this doesn't happen. Um, one of them is that it packages chylomicrons uh, together with fatty acids directly from digestion and puts them into the lymphatic system. And the lymphatic system drains pretty much directly into the heart. It has to go to the lungs first, but then it comes back, and then the first stop is is the heart. So it's almost like it's giving preference of those fatty acids to the heart. Also, um, we now know that that the heart has a direct signaling molecule um, to fat cells. Uh, so basically, if the if the heart cells start to have to burn burn more glucose, then they can signal to the fat cells to mobilize fats and make that available to the heart. Um, because the heart's always burning some glucose, but it's predominantly burning ketones and fat. And so when this situation happens where it's forced to burn glucose, uh, bad things happen. So that same situation happens in our, our skeletal muscles. When we go for a run, that's a stress on the body, and the body will start burning our glycogen stores and burning glucose. And what happens in our muscles when we start doing that is we get a buildup of lactic acid and hydrogen ions in, in the, the cells. Uh, and that's the muscle burn that you feel when you're working out. Um, now, now that starts to happen, uh, in the heart and it can happen to a low grade extent and cause angina or chest pain. Um, just like the lactic acid burning of the muscles, we get lactic acid burning feeling of the heart. 
um, and that's the heart relying more on glucose, but not enough to cause a heart attack. Um, when we get that surge in adrenaline, it, it dramatically shifts to burning glucose. Um, now, the, the issue is, is that when we get that lactic acid buildup in a skeletal muscle, we can just stop running, and the lactic acid is pumped out of the system. Um, but the heart can't stop beating. Um, and so what happens is it continues to burn glucose. Um, and at this point, um, what happens, we've already got the shift in metabolism, and that's the key. Because at this point, um, one of two things happens, and I'm not exactly sure. I've seen evidence for both. So um, one is that um, that increase in lactic acid and hydrogen ions creates pressure or swelling in an area of the heart. And that pressure or swelling um, changes the, the hemodynamic uh, um, uh, situation. So basically, there's, there's supposed to be more pressure coming from the arteries to the tissues of the heart. But when the pressure builds up there, um, it can't do that. The pressure is now more going out, and so the blood can't get in. Um, and so this, this explains why you know, almost 100% of heart attacks happen in the left ventricle, because the left ventricle is under the most pressure, so it's more susceptible to these pressure changes. Um, you know, it's an, another curious finding is that, you know, these, these atherosclerotic lesions, these stenoses are evenly distributed throughout the main arteries of the heart, yet almost hundred percent of heart attacks happen in the left ventricle. Um, so that doesn't make sense. Um, but it's because of this, the pressure and this cascade of events. Now that would suggest that that pressure is, is depriving that area of the heart, uh, of, um, blood, which would make sense why we would get necrosis we would get tissue death, which is what a heart attack is. Um, however, I have seen some studies that show that um, oxygen levels in the heart, uh, in the area of, of sclerotic tissue, don't change at all during the entire event of a heart attack. So that would suggest that blood flow is not compromised. And so the other theory is that um, this, this buildup of lactic acid and hydrogen ions interferes with calcium absorption uh, in the heart cells. And calcium is what the muscles use to contract. Um, and so if, if they can't absorb calcium, um, then the contraction stops and we get necrosis as well. Now, it, it, could, be, it could be both. Both of those things could happen. I, I'm not sure. But the, it doesn't matter what happens after we get that switch in metabolism. The switch in metabolism, metabolism is what drives the heart attack. And it all stems from these imbalances because the third imbalance, which I didn't touch on, was that being fat adapted is very useful because if we're fat adapted, we're less likely to for the heart to revert to burning glucose. Um, there's more ketones, more fatty acids available. Um, the heart's not having to rely on those backup mechanisms to make sure it's burning fat. You know, the whole body is pretty much running on fat. And so this, you know, we could have we could have oxidative stress and we could have this imbalanced stress response and beginning you know, have a surge in adrenaline, but because we're fat adapted, the whole process doesn't happen or it's less likely to happen. It probably still could if the stress response was big enough. Um, but I, I believe that being fat adapted um, and burning um, ketones and fat will, um, will make it less likely to happen. So that's, that's the series of events that, that leads up to a heart attack. And, um, you know, I think uh, the study that, I've, that I saw showed that 80% of heart attacks um, have a, um, a decrease in heart rate variability 
uh, the person who had the heart attack had a decrease in heart rate variability. Now, heart rate variability is the number one marker we have to measure the balance between our autonomic nervous system. And so um, there's there's this fascinating, um, uh, I think it's a case study, that showed they were measuring um, the this person had a heart attack during the night, and um, they were measuring heart rate variability through the night. And the hour before the event happened, the heart rate variability was dropping steadily, steadily, steadily. And then about, I think it was like 30 seconds before the event, it just plummets. The heart rate variability, uh, heart rate variability plummets, which means they lost um, all balance in their autonomic nervous system. And there was this sudden surge of sympathetic response. And that's when the event happened. Um, and then, like I said, 80% of uh, people who have heart attacks have this, this um drop in heart rate variability because you want a high heart rate variability that means you're you're more balanced um so it, it's pretty clear to me that those are the things that are uh driving the majority of heart attacks which like i said a certain small percentage of them does occur um through clot formations um not stenosis but more plaque formations uh, and clots forming uh so how does that make sense yeah that's absolutely absolutely fascinating and one one thing that um, was of interest to me where you talk about the nitric oxide and heart attacks happening on a Monday and during the holidays. Um, during that time, there's a lot of stress eating, a lot of treats, a lot of processed food that has high fructose in it, which we know can also drop the nitric oxide um, and affect the vessel constriction. So it's almost a, a perfect storm for a heart attack to happen, stress, uh, stress eating, and, and stuff like that. Um, as many people know, I lost my dad to a massive heart attack. And uh, this is something that's uh, extremely close to my heart uh, because working in pharmacy and as a nurse, I've uh, helped save patients that have had a heart attack. I've lost patients that had a heart attack. Every day I um, interact with families and patients that have some form of heart disease and, and or have had a heart attack. So what can we start doing to correct some of these imbalances um, regarding a heart attack? Because many patients have asked me on my Instagram uh, regarding this, can they start a ketogenic diet after a heart attack? And could you speak to what the literature uh, states about that? And this is in by no means medical advice. Uh, this is just some information and what, what we do know in the literature um, and some resources to empower you guys to be able to speak with your doctor. Yeah, and in general, all I'm really going to say is how we can be healthier in general. That's the, yes. that's what we're, that's what's going to be. Uh, I mean, because that's how you prevent a heart attack. You 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 correct these imbalances by achieving a higher level of health. Um, but yeah, I just want to touch on one thing too that I thought about while you were talking there was. Um, it's it's interesting that that this theory that I just laid out explains why nitroglycerin tablets seem to be beneficial for preventing heart attacks because we're providing nitric oxide. Um, and then the other thing is that um, uh, ACE inhibitors and beta blockers have also been shown to decrease risk for heart attack, and they've also been shown to increase heart rate variability for whatever reason. Um, that's they, they may think it's a, a different mechanism, you know, the mechanism that those drugs are designed for. Um, but in reality, they're also increasing heart rate variability. So maybe that's the mechanism from which they're uh, preventing heart attacks. Um, so, yeah, let's let's get into what we can do to rebalance those imbalances. And 
I think that, you know, number one, uh, is, is, is being fat adapted. So, um, like I said, I think that's going to, you know, decrease the likelihood that that series of events, you know, the stars align. If one of the stars is not aligned, then this, maybe it doesn't happen. And so anything we can do to do that. So that means, you know, carbohydrate restriction, that means intermittent fasting, those things will definitely help get you in ketosis. And it's not like people think that, you know, they're going to have to be in ketosis forever. And I don't necessarily recommend that. Um, I, I'm, that's how I choose to be. But um, the point or the, the goal is to have metabolic flexibility, to, to make sure that your body has the ability to burn fat and ketones when it needs to. Um, and so you're going to have to go through a period of fat adaptation, and then you're going to have to maintain that. So you can't just go through fat adaptation and then go right back to eating a bunch of carbs all the time. You're going to have to, it's almost like you're going to have to, um, uh, uh, kind of nourish that fat ad adaptation. So you may eat some carbs someday, but it's very important then to intermittent fast and carbohydrate restrict the next day so that you get back into ketosis and you make sure that your body always retains the ability to do that um, on a pretty a quick basis. Now, as far as after a heart attack, um, after someone has a heart attack and going on a ketogenic diet, um, the only precaution that I have is that there has been studies that show um, and it's not, it's not, um, well, I'll just tell you what the studies show. They, they show that whenever someone like post heart attack, if they give them some sort of drug, I forget the name of the drug, it starts with a P, um, some sort of drug, drug that inhibits glucose metabolism in heart cells, then they actually get, um, uh, they get less recover or they get less, um, than full recovery from the heart attack. Um, so basically they get uh, poor outcomes as far as recovery and tissue repair and things like that, which part of that just makes sense because your heart is burning some glucose all the time. It likes to burn fat and ketones, but it is, and if you restrict, you know, some of its energy source, then it's probably not going to be able to repair as well. But the other, um, aspect of this, I think is that, you know, someone who's had a heart attack is probably not well fat adapted, um, just because that's one of the imbalance that drives it. And so if, if we're restricting glucose and they're not fat adapted, they're not, they're not, you know, full blown ketosis and, and, um, good at using them, even though the heart prefers to burn ketones, then, then we're kind of leaving that area metabolically, uh, choked off, you know? Um, so restricting energy, any energy source, um, uh, will impair the ability of the body to repair that damaged tissue. But the interesting thing about these studies is that they gave them, uh, when they put the glucose back in, they were like, oh, look, it, it recovers better. But they also found the same result with carnitine, which is the molecule that shuttles fatty acids um, uh, to be uh, burned uh, more efficiently. So, and carnitine is found in animal products. Um, carnitine, it's, it's, you know, carnivore, that kind of thing. It means meat. Um, so that could be helpful there, but as, so what I should say with all this is that I, I would not recommend trying to get fat adapted after you've had a heart attack. I would wait till your doctor tells you that you're fully recovered or as recovered as you're going to be from that heart attack. And then I would do the fat adaptation, uh, fat adaptation process, which again is carbohydrate restriction and, 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 um, intermittent fasting and things like that. Um, so that's, that's the number one way to 
um, rebalance that imbalance. So then moving on to um, nitric oxide and oxidative stress. Um, the rebalancing that and reducing oxidative stress, there's so many things you could do. Um, but number one is, is um, burn fat for fuel because in your metabolism, it's just making less free radicals um, as you're burning those, uh, your fuel source. And then um, avoiding toxin exposure. So there's, there's so many toxins that we're exposed to every single day. So you really have to look at your environment and look at the things you're exposed to and make a, a, um, a good effort to avoid the toxins you can avoid, you have control over, and not freak out about the ones you can't. Uh, because you're never going to eliminate them all. So just going through some areas of um, high toxin exposure, uh, we can look at our, our food. Um, and, and honestly, I think it's much easier to avoid toxins of any nature on a, on a more carnivore diet um, because we're avoiding plant toxins. We're avoiding all the pesticides that are sprayed on, on foods, our plant foods. Um, and as long as we're getting, you know, uh, grass-fed, uh, um, and really the most naturally raised, the animal in their most natural environment, then we're getting pretty toxin-free food. The only problem I haven't been able to get around is all the plastic that the meat's wrapped in most of the time. So um, it's something I'm still working on. But um, so there's food, then there's water, filtering your water, uh, especially if you live in a city. Um, but even if you're out on well water, you know, you never know what's in the groundwater. But getting a good filter that gets everything out, not just the little Brita filters, um, you can find at Target and stuff. Uh, but make sure you got good water. Uh, there's even devices that will structure your water, which would be an excellent way to get that energized water into your body like we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, and then there's air. So obviously you can't control all your air, um, but at least control the air in your bedroom is what I say. You spend ideally eight hours a day there. Make sure that's the cleanest air possible. Um, get rid of all the artificial fragrances and Glade plugins and all that kind of stuff. Uh, those things are toxic to us. Um, then there's cosmetics. Make sure that your cosmetics are the cleanest possible. Um, that's your soap, shampoos, things, makeups, all this kind of stuff. Deodorants, make sure all that stuff, toothpaste, um, uh, is the cleanest possible um, and, and the most natural ingredients. And get familiar with the, the ingredients that are there bad for you. There's plenty of information out there about what those are. Uh, and then the last one is uh, cleaning products. Um, really all you need is like vinegar and water uh, to clean things. But um, if you want something more smelly, you could add essential oils as well. Um, and, and that's really all you need. Uh, but, you know, there are lots of companies that make cleaner cleaning products um, and, and laundry detergents and things like that. So just doing those five things. I mean, I know, I know practitioners who that's their whole practice. It's just detoxing people's lives and people see insane health benefits. They lose weight, their allergies go away, headaches go away. It's just, it's crazy. Um, and it's going to reduce your oxidative stress and, and help prevent a heart attack. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's also other things you can do, um, as far as decreasing oxidative stress, we can, we can upregulate the production of glutathione in our body, um, which is our, our main antioxidant that, uh, we make. Um, and so we can, uh, do things like, um, making sure we're eating connective tissue, um, because that's going to be higher in glycine and that drives the production of, of, um, glutathione. And so that's really, really important that we're either like, taking a collagen supplement or, or 
drinking bone broth, things like that, uh, that are going to have those connective tissue proteins in there. Um, and then the last thing, as far as oxidative stress goes, is is doing things that will um, create a, a hormetic effect. And the hormetic effect is, is just basically a little bit of a stressor or a toxin to our body that um, that forces our body to upregulate production of glutathione. Um, that can really boost our glutathione levels. So things like that are exercise um, and um, uh, cold and heat exposure, things like that. So speaking of heat exposure, infrared saunas are great for detoxification because not only are they a hormetic stress to you, but they're also making you sweat, much like exercise would do. And when you sweat, you sweat out tons of toxins. Um, I like to go into the saunas and just as I sweat, just wipe off the sweat. So I sweat out more toxins after that. So that's how we rebalance oxidative stress. Um, and then as far as rebalancing um, the, the stress response, you know, it, it can be hard if, if your stress response wasn't developed properly because of, you know, trauma in childhood or something like that. Um, but there are still things you can do uh, to make your stress response better and rebalance it uh, and get to a better state. And that's what it's all about. It's, it's not being perfect. It's just getting to a better state and going in the right direction as far as your health goes. Um, and always and always um, searching for the next best thing. And so things that really drive balance in our autonomic nervous system are are loving, meaningful relationships and community. Um, having the sense of being a part of a community is huge. Contact with nature, so spending time out in nature, being in contact with the earth, in the sunlight, those types of things. Um, Mindfulness practice, I think, is huge. Um, some sort of mindfulness practice. I mean, for some people, that's that's religion, which lots of times also brings community, which is great. But it doesn't have to be that. Um, I mean, I I really appreciate the the connection between human beings, and I feel like that's my religion is is the connection between people and and nature. I feel like is also one of my religions, um, if you want to call it that. Uh, but I think those are the things that, that, uh, give me meaning and purpose. And, and, and that's, um, a huge, uh, balancer to our autonomic nervous system is having a purpose, having meaning, being, believing that you're a part of something bigger than yourself, whether that's your community, whether that's, um, God or whatever it is for you, um, just make sure you're doing that. And then there's lots of different ways that people have found to hack their, their autonomic nervous system. So, uh, you, you know, splashing cold water on your face, which goes back to that kind of hormetic stress, this cold exposure. Uh, or people like stimulate their gag reflex, which could, because of the proximity to the vagus nerve kind of stimulates the vagus nerve. Uh, or singing at the top of your lungs. Um, if, you, if you catch me at a stoplight, sometimes I'm, I'm singing at the top of my lungs because I'm in the car alone and nobody else wants to hear that. Um, but it, 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 I try and do these things because I know that it's helping create balance. And I think that's one of the reasons that monks chant uh, is because they are like masters of their autonomic nervous system. They, they are in such a Zen state. They're always practicing mindfulness. They're doing this chanting. They're part of this community. Um, that's, that's how they're able to do what they do, I think. Um, so yeah, yeah, those are, those are probably just a few. Um, I, I want to touch on one last one uh, is gut healing. So I've mentioned before in, in past episodes that um, uh, healing the gut has been shown to rebalance um, our um, autonomic nervous system uh, because the gut is um, another one of those organs that's incredibly innervated by the vagus nerve. It's why we have gut feelings about things. Uh, it's why when people get stressed, they feel it in their gut or that their digestion goes bad or they you know have issues and things like that. 
um, but gut healing has been shown to increase um, our autonomic nervous system balance. And I think that the number one way to track this is heart rate variability, which you also mentioned, I think, last episode, um, which heart rate variability is just the, um, it's the respiratory sinus arrhythmia. So basically what it means is that when you take a deep breath in, your pulse is going to quicken. And when you take a slow, deep breath out, you're going to feel your pulse um, slow, uh, get slower. And so the difference between the quickest it gets when you take a breath in and the slowest it gets when you take a breath out is your heart rate variability, the variability between those two numbers. And the higher it is, the more balanced your autonomic nervous system is because you get a little bit of sympathetic, sympathetic activity when you breathe in and you're holding your breath. And so your pulse quickens and you get that stimulus and then you get a parasympathetic when you breathe out. And so the further away or the, the bigger the difference is means you can go back and forth from sympathetic to parasympathetic better, more easily and more effectively. And so um, there's really no one number that you want to be at. Um, you really want to take your baseline heart rate variability where you are and then improve from that. Um, and so um, people can get little devices that um, that measure heart rate variability. Um, I'm, I had one, but it broke. Um, so I'm looking at getting a different one it actually broke just last week. Um, a different one. I'm trying to look for a different device, but, um, yeah, that's, 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 that's the strategy for rebalancing these imbalances that, like I said, drive all chronic disease, um, but definitely drive the, the series of events that causes a heart attack. Awesome. Yeah. Doc, one of the things that I love is we're just getting to that a dysregulated energy metabolism is really the root cause of all disease. It manifests in different ways and different organs and different systems. We know from the Warburg effect that that's what drives cancer, that the more the body goes away from its ability to burn fat and ketones and relies more upon sugar, ultimately with cancer, it becomes, that's its only way of providing for itself is the fermentation of sugar. That the more that we get away from fat and ketones, the worse our health will be. And conversely, getting back to it is so healing. I was reading some studies recently on using ketogenic diets to help to reverse heart failure, that uh, ketones are 37% more effective. And so you have this energy going to the heart in a much greater way that the heart can divert some of that energy to healing and to repair. And I know for myself, I, I really had the beginning stages of heart failure and a large heart, a lot of uh, venous insufficiency, um, uh, you know, swelling in my legs and, and a, car, a, a carnivorous ketogenic diet has been able to completely reverse all of that. So it is very empowering to patients to know that we have control over all these things. And you gave, you know, amazing tips. It's not just, uh, you know, watch your saturated fat. It's, it's sun, it's light, it's grounding, it's all of these mind-body practices. It's, it's the choices that we make regarding toxic exposure. And I'm just super excited for everyone to, to listen to this episode. And I look forward to more in the future. Nevada, do you have anything else for Doc? No, I just think this is uh, the best episode so far in the series. And I think it's going to add so much value because it, it spoke to a lot of the questions that people have in the community uh, that I'm seeing. So I, I think this was really valuable and, and thank you so much for doing this. And I look forward to our next series uh, where we talk about athletes.
and uh, how training can affect the heart. That That's very interesting uh, with that. And also, I just wanted to say that if you're looking to have a breakthrough in your health, uh, Chris and I have our Mind Body Breakthroughs community on Facebook. It's a private group, and Dr. Hussey is a contributing member. So we have lots of information and additional resources in that community uh, for everybody. So come join us and for the breakthrough. Awesome. All right, Doc, until next time, how can these guys find you? Um, yeah, uh, my website, resourceforhealth.com. Uh, always putting stuff there. My books, uh, my, my health coaching is there, and my blog, um, which I work really hard on. Um, and I'm also on, on social media, um, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at uh, Dr. Stephen Hussey. And then obviously I'll be, I'll be look, look for me on here again because we'll be back. Believe it or not, there's more. Um, so so we'll, be, we'll be back with more info. All right. Until next time, guys, we'll see you then. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today, Mind Body Breakthrough. Chris and I truly appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend and to join us in our free Mind Body Breakthrough Facebook community where you can start peeling away the layers of everything that's not you so you can be you.